Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. Today we dive into another request. Uh, this is a request by Nathan. And as soon as Nathan sent us this request through Facebook, I was like, my goodness, this is a blast from the past. He asked us to do 1991's Cast a Deadly Spell, which is an HBO original movie that I have childhood memories of not this movie but of the promise of this movie (laughs) do you know way back during the cable days my parents generally speaking were too cheap to get us the premium channels we had cable but we didn't have showtime we didn't have hbo cinemax anything like that but what we did have every now and then was the free preview weeks yeah (laughs) (laughs) i remember those (laughs) yeah oh my gosh they were so exciting because they would play like all these great movies and you could tape them on VHS and have them yes. forever. <laughs> have them forever, exactly. <laughs> and it would be like your first exposure to these premium channels. And so yeah. like these channels would be free for the week or for the weekend and they would just be like an event for us. Like the TV would just be tuned to HBO or Showtime or whatever that whole week. So we could just gorge ourselves on whatever it was they were showing. And then in turn, those networks like promoting the hell out of everything they had. Because, of yeah. course, the goal is to get you to subscribe and pay the extra to uh, to get those channels. And I'm pretty sure that during one of the HBO free preview weeks, this movie in 1991, I would have been in middle school. They were promoting the hack out of it. And it looked so intriguing to me. It's like a 1940s gumshoe kind of Sam Spade, Philip Marlowe detective era type story. Very noir, but with magic, like a world where magic exists and happens and is quite normal, normalized. And there are fantastic creatures and things like that. And as soon as he requested this, I was like, oh my gosh, I've always wanted to see that since I was a kid. I never did me- I never did watch it back then. I don't know if it was because it was on too late or it was a little de- deemed a little too adult for me and my parents didn't let me or I just never got around to it during that week, but I never did get to see it. And so how great of an opportunity to go back and see this movie that I don't know, like I'm surprised anybody else remembers because it's one of those things that you never hear about even though it has like a thousand famous people in it (laughs) and and this movie this subject matter i mean my goodness it could have been made in this era and probably been very successful because these are the kind of things we're seeing now more often i think than we saw back then these crazy mashups heavy on fantasy horror and quite a bit of humor as well so super excited that nathan requested us to do this and um, yeah, I think when he when he requested it, he said, uh, I don't know if it's really a horror movie or not. Uh, it's a little bit of everything, you know, and horror is definitely part of it. So it's definitely in our wheelhouse, I think. Craig, had you seen this movie or even heard of it before? Uh, I don't know, but it's funny that your description of how you remember it, because I, it's just vaguely familiar to me, and I think that that is why i think i saw it advertised um whether it be for the free week or or whatever i i just feel like i must have seen the trailer or something because it did look vaguely familiar i do know for sure that i had not seen it before Mm. but it does have a lot of people in it that are highly recognizable Uh, the main character is played by Fred Ward, who hmm. has been in a bazillion things. I always remember him from um, Tremors. He was great yes. in Tremors. Oh, and, so great in Tremors. And the Lily Tomlin Bette Midler classic, Big Business. He was in yeah. that movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's a real man's man. I- I've always enjoyed he is. him in Oh, yeah, movies, yeah. Man. And he's great in this role. Like, it's perfect oh, yeah. casting. So good. He plays this old school detective 
I mean, he's he's perfect for it. And then Julianne Moore is kind of the vixen of the movie, which this has to be one of her first roles. Like, right? Oh my she's goodness. very young. The <laughs> you it's might 91. not, <laughs> yeah, you might not have anticipated that she would go on to be a highly regarded film actress. <laughs> right? <laughs> After this film, you mean? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Uh, Clancy Brown uh, is is one of the villains in the movie, and he's been in tons of things, uh, lots of horror movies. But um, he was excellent as like the head evil guard in Shawshank Redemption. Oh yes, and he was the evil stepdad in Pet Cemetery too. Like you've seen him everywhere. He's still working. Oh yeah, and you know what? When I was I was kind of scrolling through his IMDb credits, I had no idea he's done more voice work than anything else. Really? He is like all over television, cartoons for doing voice work. Pretty much like Phineas and Ferb, and all, like Amazing Spider-Man and the Superman cartoons. Like it seems like I don't think there was a single superhero cartoon that he hasn't done three or four voices for each. Well, he does it's, have a great voice, yeah. a great he does voice, yeah, yeah, and then the ability to change it around a lot too. He had a he had a good presence in this movie. He was really sinister and cool. I mm-hmm. liked him. Also, I mean, <laughs> I have no idea how old these people actually are, but compared to the other things that I know him from, very young uh, mm-hmm. seeming in this movie. David Werner is in this. David uh. Werner, I mean. My he's goodness. fantastic. And I feel like we've done movies that he's been in before. Was it Waxwork? <laughs> yes, yes. Um, a whole he's bunch. Great. Sure. I love yeah. him. If David Werner ever passes, and of course he will someday, we'll have a lot to choose from, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know he was even in Scream 2? Did you know that? I don't remember him in that. Interesting. Titanic, my goodness. Video games too. That guy. He's everywhere. And Harry Potter, right? He was in... Wasn't he in the Harry Potter movies? I don't know. I thought he was. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. He's amazing. One of the few British actors who wasn't in a Harry Potter movie. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these names here, right? And then um, the movie is uh, directed by a man named Martin Campbell. And this was uh, not his first directing gig he did a a bit of quite a bit of tv before this different episodes of things he went on after this just a couple years later to direct golden eye the mask of zorro vertical limit the legend of zorro and the james bond reboot in 2006 casino royale Mm -hmm. so he's no slouch no and then the writer joseph doherty who uh, i i get uh, what i read in here was that the script had had been passed around for 10 years he hasn't done too much since then actually uh i mean he's done things but nothing really recognizable just some tv episodes and some things here and there and i'm quite surprised honestly because i don't know like i'm just gonna say it i found this movie charming and just fun it's light and it was kind of delicious in the way that it balanced i thought like the horror with the fantasy with a lot of comedy and the movie didn't take itself too seriously which i really enjoyed because a movie like this that starts to take itself too seriously could have been silly <laughs> and this movie's silly but it, i think it's intentionally silly it's silly in a really good way i mean the main character's name is h philip lovecraft <laughs> yeah the perfect blend between Philip Marlowe and H.P. Lovecraft. And, the, of course, the whole plot is really inspired by Lovecraft and sort of that world. And we even get to see the Cthulhu, the old ones, at the very end. This is what kind of the plot is all centered around. But, again, in a world where magic, in a 1940s USA, where magic is commonplace and people can use it if they're willing to and interested in it. And our detective, being the hard-boiled, hard-nosed, typical, against-the-grain guy that these Philip Marlowe-type characters are, doesn't have any interest in that. And we hear that yeah. from the very beginning. So Yeah, I gotta tell you, I've been um, a little reluctant about <laughs> this, about talking to you today, because... You hated it. I'm in, I'm in, I no, I'm in, a, I'm in a really, I'm in a really weird. I feel. I I don't think that this has ever happened before. Okay. 
I didn't like it. And really? At all? I'm not really sure why. Like, cause it's not poorly made. Like, I think that it's, it's well made, but I just didn't like it. Like, I thought it was boring and stupid. (laughs) 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 And I, well, and, and like, there were a couple of things about it that I found problematic and they're small things they're not anything that i'm gonna get like caught up on or like rant about but it just didn't work for me at all and i and i knew like watching it i knew i'm like todd's gonna like this and i'm gonna have to try to explain (laughs) why i don't and i don't really even under like but seriously i was bored bored you're kidding no no let me say let me set and your mind at like, ease. Okay, hold on. One one last thing. One last thing. Like okay, you said, okay. it's all these things. It's fantasy. It's horror. I don't know that I would necessarily call it horror, but if you're going to call something like, oh gosh, I don't know. There are definitely horror elements. Like there are monsters and there's magic. And like you said, there's the whole HP love craft influence, which by the way, I don't really know how you get into HP love craft mythos and have it be boring like i I don't Mm -hmm. but it is but i when i could tell that it was supposed to be a comedy but i didn't find it funny at all like the parts that i could tell were supposed to be funny had absolutely no effect on me like well that's not funny (laughs) i mean i wouldn't no see i wouldn't go so far to say as it was supposed to be a comedy i mean I would say that it it was highly comedic, but I wouldn't say it was supposed to be a comedy in that I feel like it was such a direct homage to Raymond Chandler that it can't help but be silly because that stuff is pretty silly, especially when you take it off of the page and put it on the screen. (laughs) I mean, people talking in these wisecracks and quippy and and the attitude and the kind of over complicated plot and just the the sheer sort of wittiness of it all that it's going to be silly and so i just feel like the director acknowledged that and so he slipped some jokes in uh, i don't feel like it was a comedy through and through i just thought it was sort of a had comedic elements that were intentional yeah, I mean, I'm going to put you at ease. I, it's not like I thought it was the best thing I've ever seen, for sure. Or, or I have to ask you, I mean, you being the English teacher, have you read much Raymond Chandler? Have no. you read any Raymond Chandler? No. Oh. And and I and I think that that might be a big part of it. I haven't read this type of stuff. I'm aware of this genre cinematically, but I don't know that I've ever watched any of it. I was in a play once. I think it was called like the butler did it or I think the butler did it or something. Were, were you in that play? <laughs> yeah, I think we were in it together. Yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> you played Philip Marlowe, didn't you? Or, I don't a character remember. based. You played a character that was supposed to be based off of Philip Marlowe. It was like Philip Spade or Sam Marlowe or something I, like that. I have completely blocked it out because it was so dumb. Like it was yeah. like it was fun to do, and it was fun working. Like we worked with great people. Uh, our 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 dear dear friend Ron directed it, and um, it was a, it was a lot musical of fun. too, wasn't it? <clears throat> it was <laughs> musical. <laughs> it was it was fun to work with those people, but the play was so stupid that I've completely oh, yeah. blocked it out. So maybe <laughs> I don't that that may have a, a big thing to do with it. Just that I'm not a fan of the genre, and I imagine that people probably people more our dad's age, or maybe even our granddad's age. Yeah, you know when this was really popular. They probably would have got a big kick out of this. It just right. it didn't resonate with me. I don't know. It, it's hard. It's hard to appreciate a throwback when you're not really familiar with what they are throwing back to. You know what I mean? No, that's totally fair, and that may explain why I was so taken by it because I could not believe how. I mean, 
I was going back and I was looking at the credits and I was looking in the Wikipedia because I was positive that this was just direct, directly based off of one of his novels. I just felt like I'd read it, the whole plot before. And, and I think that's because many of these plots are basically the same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're so fun. Craig, you should. You should. And everybody who's listening, you, if you're, you should just w- read one Raymond Chandler novel. It is an experience unto itself. It really is. The writing is so, it's like too clever for its own good. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's so deliciously clever. And the things that people say to each other and the way they talk to each other are very economical and witty. Nobody ever in the history of mankind talks to each other like this. So he's created his own little world. And it's also this world filled with vice. In one novel, well, you know, this detective who has all these problems who is an alcoholic who has a somehow in his heart just is trying to do the right thing but everything's kind of against it and he really doesn't give a shit anyway because he's kind of on his last buck going into the world of vice gangsters and prostitution and pornographers and all of that stuff just matter-of-factly thrown at you in an era i guess where i wouldn't have expected that but maybe that's just my naivete you know we we tend to think things are different today but really they're not that much different and so you know this movie was just packed every bit it was like it was like the novel place to screen and then with the added twist of all of these the magical kind of elements to it which you know you could have stripped that out, and you would have still had the same plot. Yeah, yeah. You can take the MacGuffin, which is the Necronomicon uh, that they're that he's ostensibly trying to track down, uh, that everybody's looking for, and replace it with anything else that's valuable. And you could take all the magic away, and you'd basically end up with the same plot. Yeah, know? that's true. So I, I thought that that was just a nice little twist to it, and that's what kept it kind of fun and novel and interesting to me. A, I like the source material. B, I recognized... It was so faithful to the source material that it was just delicious to see on screen. Uh, and then see the added layer of the magic and things, and it, which made it so goofy that I was really glad to see that they weren't trying to play it so straight. And then that is what worked for me in that regard. So I don't I get it. That's why I feel bad. Like, I feel like it should have worked for me. I feel like I should have liked it too, and I just didn't. And I feel guilty. Because, <laughs> I mean, like, I get it. I get the whole detective scene and and i feel like i've seen other movies probably spoofier movies Mm -hmm. that are kind of like this that i've enjoyed and i liked the magic element Uh, i thought that they were trying a little too hard sometimes because not only does everybody use magic but everybody uses it all the time and i feel like they kind of felt the need to continuously remind us of that like there are <laughs> the these con- like yes like all these panning shots of like crowds and you'll see like waiters pouring drinks with the pitcher floating there's a lot of floating things going on i'm like yeah <laughs> whoever they, they should i hope that they credited like the wire holder you know in the, <laughs> in the credits because there was right. a lot of floating object stuff going on and there was other little stuff like silly really insignificant like you said they could have cut it completely out and the plot would have been the same but like there's a scene with gremlins that i thought was kind of hilarious like oh, that was pretty goofy yeah <laughs> it was goofy but the uh, obviously this came out after the you know it did richard donner do gremlins Who did, or uh, joe dante Joe Dante, yeah. Yeah, Joe Dante. This came out after that, and obviously the gremlins in this movie take a tiny bit of inspiration from Mm -hmm. the gremlins in that movie, Um, but it was kind of cute and silly and funny, and I liked that, and there were other magical things that I thought were kind of cute and stuff, but there was also a lot of focus on a lot of talk about or suggestions about H.P. Lovecraft. And I'm a big... This is weird, too, especially coming from an English teacher. I'm a really big fan of the H.P. Lovecraft universe. Mm -hmm. I find him really difficult to read. Have you read any of his stuff? I haven't. Honestly, yeah, it's it's hard. Yeah, it's not... Like, the mythos (laughs) is so entertaining, and then you read the stuff, and it's so dense and, like... Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I mean, I've read it. (laughs) (laughs) I want to be aware, and I enjoy the stories, but sometimes they're kind of hard to get through. But I was hoping for more of that, and frankly, at the end, when it all culminates, like, this stuff, you know, I like the idea of the Necronomicon, and that, of course, has uh, infected pop culture. You know, you hear about the Necronomicon all over um, the place, in horror and elsewhere. Um, I like that idea, and, you know, the idea of the old ones, um, or the outsiders, or whatever, with Cthulhu and, and others. I thought that was cool, and I was looking forward to it coming to fruition at the end and then i was just kind of let down and maybe that is a budgetary restraint i don't know but like the big ancient monster that shows up at the end i refer to him in my notes as the butthole monster because he just looked like a big (laughs) gooey butthole I think that's actually how H.P. Lovecraft referred to him in, Probably. in his work. <laughs> and the big gooey butthole rose from the depths of <laughs> the ape like. swallowed everyone whole, sucked it up into its butthole. Yeah, anus. Yeah, I. Um, yeah, I, I will admit, like the other thing about it is, is as as ambitious as the movie is, it does feel kind of low budget and small. You know, I mean. In, in a production quality standpoint, I think. And I'm not sure why, because like you said, it's competently filmed. The sets are pretty and, and gorgeous. Uh-huh. There's very dramatic lighting and things in there. But I guess maybe it's just like we never we never really get these like scenes with a lot of people in them. You know, these overarching crowd scenes or big chases down a, a street with lots of people. Really? I, I don't well, remember. There, there's there's <laughs> one big set piece which is the dunwich room um which Uh again is a throwback to the dunwich horror hp lovecraft but and it's like this swanky 40s club and i and that was cool like i enjoyed that environment and like um julianne moore is the lounge singer there Mm -hmm. and um she's clearly lip-syncing and i looked this up that it's not her voice um i don't know if julianne moore can sing or not but it's not her voice and she's clearly lip-syncing and like it's super exaggerated like (laughs) did you notice that like oh yeah it looks like she's trying to sing for a deaf audience like Read my lips. (laughs) Well, and there's a good five minutes of just her face on the screen in close up. So it's painfully obvious. She's young and beautiful. And I I really, honest to God, am a big Julianne Moore fan. I think that she's a a fine, fine actress and she's a beautiful woman. And, uh, but this is not a showcase of her talent. (laughs) She looks great. But she's still a little wet behind the ears in this movie, which is fine. She's young. She's getting started. She goes on to do amazing things, and she has a very well-established career. So I'm not putting her down for it, you know, early in her career having a less-than-stellar performance. But it is (laughs) less-than-stellar. Less-than-stellar. Well, I mean, to be fair, this is an HBO original movie Yeah, at a time when... I mean, now you say an HBO original movie and we'll be like, all right, yeah, show me what you got. You know, I mean, this is a network, you know, Game of Thrones. You know, they spend millions and millions of dollars on a single episode. But back then it was different. Like it was a very novel kind of thing for these cable networks to start dabbling in producing their own content. Yeah. And usually is fairly low budget, usually kind of, you know, lower budget actors. Yeah. Anyway, they're cutting corners somewhere. This is coming out of that pedigree, and it feels, if you were to compare it to all of that, it actually is is one of the higher production value ones, especially... Oh, sure. I mean, it's produced by Gail Ann Hurd, so maybe that has a lot to do with it, but it still somehow retains that feel that they're... Of a TV movie. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and that's, if you look it up anywhere, you look it up on M- MTV, you look it up on IMDb, or you look it up on Wikipedia, and it's listed as a TV movie, and technically it is, but these cable networks, and I don't even know, I mean, now with um, streaming services, streaming services are producing their own content, and it's, depending, 
on the film and depending on the service, you know, of, of varying quality, but you get some really quality and higher budget sometimes stuff. This just feel, it feels like a TV movie with a better budget, a TV movie with better clout because they were able to get bigger names attached to it, but mm. it still kind of has that yeah. TV movie feel a little. True. It's better. It's better than what you would have seen on network television as a movie of the week. It's better than that. But you, there's still a little bit of that feel. Oh, yeah. I totally understand. Well, and that was the other thing, too. Like, how is this rated R? I, I don't it? get it. Like, yes. I can't imagine that today this would be rated anything higher than PG-13. Yeah. I totally agree. I have no idea. It do, I mean, there, I don't recall there being much, if any, swearing. No, no nudity, no sex, which is yeah. Which is I mean, there, for a... there's implied <laughs> sex. Yeah, I mean, it's HBO. I mean, you know, <laughs> this is the at the same time that this came out, they were playing Dream On, which was like a huge sex comedy. Mm-hmm. You would think they would have pushed, and and there is, you know, uh, Fred Ward and um, Julianne Moore spend a night together but there's there's nothing like you see nothing. them smooch <laughs> and then in they the, wake in the up shadows. in the morning yeah yeah <laughs> and then in the morning julianne moore's in her nice little nighty with her hair still perfectly quaffed and like he gets out of bed he sleeps on a hide a bed in his office um mm-hmm. he gets out of bed and he's wearing like these huge <laughs> 1940s boxers and like a wife beater like there's there's absolutely nothing and the effects like even the monster effects and the kill effects uh, are uh, they're you know they're serviceable they're fine but they're not super gory i have no idea how this got an r it almost seems like it's it feels like a pg3 it feels like an yeah. intentional pg13 right it feels like they're trying really hard not to throw anything too too yeah bad in there that kids couldn't see or yeah, I agree with you there. I totally agree. I don't know. There are a couple gory scenes. There's a scene where a guy gets death by like a thousand paper cuts. That's pretty gross. Uh, kind of, but I mean, it doesn't. You know, when he's yeah, it's all magic. So this guy's in a bathroom and he's getting threatened by this goon or whatever, and the goon like I don't know snaps his fingers or something, and all these shreds of paper like cyclone around this guy. And you get the impression of what's going on because, like, the paper, the pieces of paper start to redden and stuff. And then eventually he falls down on the ground and you can see that his face is all cut up. And I suppose it's gory, but it's not like it even looks real or anything. You know, it looks like a dummy (laughs) or it looks like pretty good makeup. It doesn't. Yeah. I guess. I mean, I guess that might trouble an eight-year-old. <laughs> I don't know. At that time, anyway. I mean, you know, we're a little more loose on the on the ratings, I think, nowadays. But, I mean, then there's, the, there's that one scene in the kitchen where there's, like, a demon monster conjured up. And it's a scary demon monster. I don't know if that counts for anything. It's a, it's a soup monster. Yeah, it's oh, like come out of on. Elvira. It was right out of Elvira. It mm-hmm. was the casserole monster. It jumps mm-hmm. out of a pot and attacks some guy. And, yeah, I guess the aftermath of him, like, everybody, like, they defeat the casserole monster by, like, knocking it into the kitchen freezer or whatever like it's not much of a battle and then the detective and this kitchen worker are just like standing there surveying the mess and the guy pops up behind them and he looks kind of gross i I would say you're right that i had kind of forgotten that's probably the grossest one but even still certainly not r-rated material in 2021 no way not in 2021 for sure yeah, no. Take take your eight-year-old to see this. It'll be totally fine. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be fine. <laughs> I would. I would show this to kids. I almost feel like kids would like this better You're right. I, I think did. you're right. But the kids wouldn't be able to follow it. There's no, no way they'd be able to follow I it. I was barely able to follow it. That's yeah. kind of the Raymond Chandler thing, too. It is hard to follow these plots because it involves remembering people's names and making inferences when the characters are saying stuff. And it's like, Jimmy pulled one over on Charlie back when, when John did this to that and such and such. Yeah. And then you double-crossed him because of blah, blah, blah. And you're like, what? Oh, God. Go back to the beginning. Who was that again? <laughs> but, I mean, 
the basic plot is. And, and okay, good. I was gonna say, <laughs> but see, that's the thing too. Like we we should at least mention what the plot is. But I feel like you can do it in ten seconds. Yeah, there's not you don't much need to go to beat, it. beat for beat. Well, I wouldn't say there's not much to it. There's, but there's not. Well, th- this gum- the- <laughs> this hard nosed detective gets hired by a rich guy to track down the Necronomicon that's been stolen from him, and as it turns out, this like mobster type thug is trying to get his hands on the Necronomicon so that he can summon the ancient demons uh, to take over the world. And as it turns out, the rich guy and the mobster are in on it together. And it all culminates at the end when they get their hands on the book and they draw up the demon. But because of some silly flub in their plan, it all goes awry. Period. That's well, it. That's the whole plot. I know, but you could summarize every movie quickly like that. But I mean, a lot of stuff goes down in between. I mean, to get us to from beat to beat in that point, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> let's let's see what you got. Shoot. Well, let's see. There's a woman. Who, well, woman who obviously from from the moment you see her is actually a man dressed as a woman. I don't know if that was supposed to be a big reveal at some point or not, but. Uh, no, but and that's one of the things that bothers me. Like I I understand that this was made in 1991 and I get that it was set in the 1940s. But in in 2021, even in 1999, like this is old putting a man in a dress. Yeah. Just I mean it's it's and 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 making that a joke and a key part of this plot like especially since like you said it's entirely evident not that there's anything wrong with that (laughs) (laughs) whatever but it just seems like a cheap bit and eventually the 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 main guy who presumably we're supposed to like um hp lovecraft interviews this person and before even verifying i mean it's obvious before even verifying that this is a man in a dress and a wig like punches him and knocks him out and then calls him a fag and like god come on like you're better than this like this (laughs) this this movie should be better than this it's just cheap and i I don't like i don't know I mean, it's, but this is, I, I mean, I think you'd hit the nail on the head, 1940s, and also, this is typical Raymond Chandler stuff. I mean, I'm sorry, but back in the 1940s, you know, homosexuality, ooh, yeah, yeah. you know, that's another one of those things, like, oh my god, like, they're gay lovers, and, and she's secretly a, a man, and, and that kind of thing. This just fits right in with that wheelhouse. I mean, there would be something like this in half yeah. of his novels you know so i didn't think it was cheap i just thought it was being very true to the source material and trying That's to squeeze fair. all that in and i don't think it was really treated so much as a joke actually i kind of thought that that he seemed not too surprised i mean I, I felt like it was actually more like come on like there's no way that any of us watching this movie right here playing out in front of us and seeing this man in women's in in women's clothing are going to be tricked well You're right. You're not lying. Honestly, this movie may have been a little bit ahead of its time because this was a trans woman. Yeah. Yeah. She lived her life as a woman. She only dressed as a man. Like, dressing as a man was a disguise for her. Right. To get a hold of the Necronomicon. She's, she ends up being the one who stole the book on behalf of her boyfriend and her boyfriend was stealing it on behalf of this mobster club owner or whatever but Mm -hmm. she was in a relationship with this guy that worked for uh clancy brown the mobster guy but her partner convinced her to dress as a man to get a job in the rich guy's place as the chauffeur to get you know inside and get what they needed so (laughs) you know you you didn't see a lot of trans representation in 1998 one um and i feel like we're talking about a uh transgendered person in this movie um yeah. so i guess there's that mhm and wasn't he trying to hit on the 16 year old virginal daughter of the guy who hired him well that's what he says that's what uh damon 
David Warner's character, Amos Hackshaw, says. May not be true. It may not be true. He brings in the detective, um, Lovecraft. There was a chauffeur. His name is Larry Willis. I fired him. Why? I have a young daughter, Mr. Lovecraft. She's all I have now. I loved her mother very much. She wasn't a strong woman, so we moved here to California for the climate. We thought it would help. It did not. Olivia's mother died, bringing her into this sorry world, and I've dedicated myself to protecting her from its more unfortunate realities. She's only 16 years of age, Mr. Lovecraft, which makes her quite vulnerable. So she's, uh, inexperienced. I prefer the word pure. The purity that charms all things and blinds them to the trap and the bow. Didn't like the way Willis was looking at her. I thought removing him from the property would be enough, but I underestimated the young man. He took something with him when he left. So, obviously, it's not true. You know, yeah. this is a trans now. woman who's in a relationship with a man. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what he says. And he says, you know, the guy stole something. He stole my book or something and he took off and I need you to find him. That is the job that Fred Ward's character is, is doing. He's trying to find this guy. And there's a lot of investigation to find this guy. Of course, it's uh, impeded because this guy... It's a guy. woman. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We're not even sure. I mean, I don't know. I didn't even pick up that that was the person early, early no. enough in the movie. I spoiled, I spoiled it for myself because I was looking at the cast list. And obviously, oh, dude. obviously wow. the same actor plays both roles because it's the same person. Got anyway. it. Yeah, I didn't quite catch that. So it was, it was a bit of a shock to me. Not that this person, you know, was was transgendered, but that this person, you know, was the original person who stole the book. So that was a that was a bit of a reveal for me. And like this whole setup in the beginning where he goes, the rich guy hires him to find something. And then he wanders on downstairs and finds the rich guy's daughter who's like coming on to the detective and teasing him and toying with him. This is straight, straight out of um is it the long sleep or the big sleep? I think it's called the big sleep, uh, Raymond Chandler novel. And, you know, that's kind of what what he does is he sets up all this, like, there are all these characters, and they come in, and they're, like, all interested in each other, but they're all sort of coy with each other. You know, she comes on to him, and she's like, oh, did my father hire you to do this? And he's like, well, that's, you know, maybe what's happening. And she's like, oh, you don't know the ride you're in for or whatever. And he's like, well, why don't you tell me what you know? She's like, no, I think you're the kind of guy who likes to find this stuff out for yourself, so I'm not going to say anything. But uh, then there's all the suggestion you want to sleep with me or whatever. The the twist in this movie is that she's like actually a virgin and he knows it because only virgins can hunt unicorns, unicorns. and he's been seeing her running around hunting unicorns. And I thought, oh my gosh, that, that's so cute. It's such a funny little twist while still re- re- remaining true to the source material and maintaining this mystery. I still don't know what this woman knows. You know, I thought it was kind of cool. I don't know. Yeah, but see, that's the, that was, I said there were a couple of problematic parts. The, the presentation of or the representation of the trans character bothered me a little bit. Again, not so much that I'm going to get caught up over it because I understand it was a different time, but this bothered me too because you keep referring to her as this woman. She's supposed to be 16. Now, obviously, the actress (laughs) that plays her is not 16. For sure, I would guess in her early 20s maybe, but not 16. But the fact that she's supposed to be 16 and she's kind of kind of presented as a very sexual being from the very beginning and then the her virginity is pivotal to the plot Mm -hmm. it just kind of just kind of gave me the heebie-jeebies like gross like he fred ward's character lovecraft though he plays it very hard-nosed and, like, you know, stone-faced, there's still banter between the two of them that is flirtatious. And, you know, like, I didn't get the impression that he was out to bang her, but he... he, And maybe he was just playing along with her because she was very flirtatious and kind of sexual and her demeanor but fred ward in this movie is at least in his 30s and 
yuck. And then, <laughs> then the like I said, the plot hinges on her virginity. Yeah. And the in the end, the twist. It's not even really a twist because you see it coming a bazillion miles away. Yeah. It's just kind of like gross. <laughs> <laughs> see. This is why maybe you know what I think it is. All right, so so first of all, this is Raymond Chandler type material through and through. I mean, it just goes into this territory. It is just that is the world. And I think maybe you know a lot of those movies were made in the uh, movies based on his material were made in the forties and fifties. You know where things had to be watered down in a movie form. <laughs> you know. And so I feel like the kind of detective gumshoe type stories that we've seen based on his work is a very what has been historically kind of a watered down sort of simplified and slightly more chaste version. At best, maybe there are illusions that, you know, are going over most people's heads. And this is a movie where I finally saw it kind of like laid out there, you know, like they weren't afraid to go to that territory because that's where the books would go. And I thought that, yeah. I, to me, it didn't. It wasn't cringy because I was expecting it. I was right at home in this world from the very beginning. And that's why I enjoyed it again. Like I said earlier, it just I liked being plopped into that uh, for the first time and maybe ever, really. Oh, God, this might be one of the most faithful Raymond Chandler adaptations I've ever seen. Um, I, I wow. think I'm just hung up on the whole 16. And, like, I... I'm a high school teacher, so I am fully aware that some 16-year-olds are sexual beings. Like, <laughs> I, this, this does not come as a shock to me. Yeah, some, mm. not me. <laughs> My God. <laughs> I was years away. <laughs> At least, well, a couple of years away. But uh, it's not so much that at 16 she's a sexual being. It's that the people that she has these interactions with Don't are care. grown adult mm-hmm. men. Like, mm-hmm. ugh, just gives me the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> anyway, that's it. I'm, I'm over it. <laughs> the actress was of legal consenting age, so it's all good. <laughs> Well, it turns out that just to talk more about the complication of the plot, it turns out that the gangster was given a blank book, which is fine because, uh, you know, when he's the goons corner the guy who delivered the book to him um, in the bathroom and give him a death by a thousand cuts, he has given him fake money. (laughs) Right. So that was just a deal that was going to go south both ways anyway. And then it is this, um, gosh, what is the woman's name? The trans woman is Lily. So Lily is the one who actually has, and we don't know this for a while, but Lily is actually the one who has the real book uh, and is now kind of on the run with it. And she doesn't really know what's happened to her lover, but she has a pretty good suspicion. Right. Um, And ultimately, she's the one that Fred Ward's character, Lovecraft, is trying to track down. Um, But he has to do it by going to meet the gangster. And the gangster happens to be a former partner of his when they were both on the L.A. police force. And so his partner went gangster, you know. That's he Clancy went, Brown, or yep, whatever his Clancy name is Brown. in the movie. He went private eye. Uh, and, you know, since we we brought up the magic, I thought this was one of the iconic things when I saw the promos for this movie when I was a kid, is that he has this zombie thug, just this big goon. Bodyguard. Mm-hmm. Big, huge black bodyguard. Did his, he looks like a, basically like an African-American version of Tor. Oh, you know, he was in uh, the Ed Wood movies, uh, Plan 9 from Outer Space. You know, that big wrestler with the kind of white eyes who just stumbles around. He was he was like one of those earlier B-movie monster guys. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, he, he kind of looks like an updated version of that. And I thought it was cute. So there was the magic, and there's also this idea of the zombies. And he, mm-hmm. they have this, this dialogue back and forth where he's like, oh, so you're using zombies, huh? Hey, what happened to your regular leg breakers? Progress. Zombies don't eat, don't complain. Don't get ideas. Don't they start to smell after a while? They're good for three months, depending on the weather. Then they begin to rot. Then what? Hey, you get some more. 30 bucks a head, come fresh from the West Indies, six to a box. Like bonbons. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. And I did like, I mean, that. I mean that's, so, that's such a small part, but I liked it too, because it seems like these are the actual like Haitian zombie mythos. Zombies. Yes. Yes. Not like the ambling 
eat your brain zombies, but yeah. like just the mind controlled zombies. Um, and and that guy, he was. I mean, he was very big and scary. I as liked hell. him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was a good character for as little as. Well, he didn't say anything. Yeah, I don't think he, he said scary. anything. <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> but he had a very commanding presence. But then you see the zombies later because it turns out that a big connection that he ends up making that leads him to this woman revolves around some villa. <laughs> Vista, what was it, it called? Vista, Vista Bonita. Bonita, yeah, which is under construction right now, which is supposed to be the first all-magical community, and it's supposedly also built entirely by magic, which means they're using these zombies Zombies. to build everything. And and as uh, Fred Ward's character is talking to the representatives of this villa on the property, you can see the construction going on in the background of these zombies, and you can see they're not the best workers. (laughs) Some of them are just like falling face first into the cement, banging well, into uh, yeah, each other. I, I feel like they're randomly they're just dropping dead. Like yes. they're expiring. <laughs> it's, it's so cute. <laughs> it, that was kind of funny. I didn't understand. I mean, like I understood the overall connection. Like apparently this place is special. Like um, so they end up needing to do this final ceremony at this place. But I didn't really understood what drew him there because ultimately, like, he goes there and he doesn't really find anything. Like, I, uh, he yeah. just randomly talks to, like, the property manager. And then I guess he gets some information from her that he needs. I don't remember what it was. And then he leaves. Like, it's just to let us know that they're going to have to go back there later. Like it just but I did like the uh the expiring zombies. That was pretty funny. <laughs> he puts a connection between two people together there because it's he finds the paper about Vista Bonita in uh, a room that was rented from the old man who has the gremlins in his machine, which is where uh the guy who had taken um, the stolen the Necronomicon had stayed for a little while. So when he yeah. visits there, he finds a connection between that guy mm. and one other character. I can't remember. It might have been actually. Oh, that might have been where he found the connection between that guy and the and his um, boyfriend. Yes, yes, I think that was it. I mean, you have to pay really, really close attention if you hope uh-huh. to follow the thread of the investigation and. But anyway, yeah, it all kind of culminates in that. So he tracks down this woman finally. He, you know, there's this little kind of romantic subplot, of course, going on between him and the nightclub girl, um, which is very typical, right? They had a relationship in the past, and then he ran away, and she's upset about it. And and now she's with his ex-partner, who is the mobster. Like, that's... Mm -hmm. I will give it credit for that, that everything is connected. Yeah. All of these first characters are connected intimately in some way yeah so connie the lounge singer used to be with lovecraft but now they they uh, something happened with them and she's not with him and now she's with the mobster but it seems like she's not really happy with the mobster and there's a whole thing where she comes to his office slash apartment and like they have dialogue that's very silly, but very apropos of the genre. See, look, everybody compromises, everybody cheats, everybody uses magic. So the MPI deals out of their pockets and get down to the job of sticking it to the neighbor before they stick it to them. Because that's the way it's done, to all of which I say nuts. My collar may be a little frayed, maybe I need a shoe shine. But nobody's got a mortgage on my soul. I own it, free and clear. I'm not going to apologize for my life. Didn't ask you to. I'm happy the way things are. Glad to hear it. You gotta look ahead. You can't drag around the past. There's nothing you can do about it. Sounds like you got a real good grip on things. It's so convoluted, but that's my understanding. I'm not as familiar as you, but that's kind of my understanding of how these things work. They are convoluted. Like, yeah. It seems like she's double-crossing her lover by being with the detective, but the truth of the matter is she's really double-crossing the detective because the lover knows about it, and, like, it's mm-hmm. all a big setup. And then, as it ultimately turns out, she's double-crossing them both because she wants the ultimate power that's going to be granted by these ancient gods or whatever. So she's very much this 
vixen who, you know, appears to just kind of be arm candy and then love interest and reluctant partner, but ultimately it was her game all along like she knew what she was doing and it was all for her and uh, it's contrived but i'll give it credit for being true to that genre yeah but but can we both agree it's not a simple story (laughs) uh i guess I get it. I mean, because it's convoluted, but like all of this stuff I have in my notes, like, you know, she goes, I don't remember where they meet. They meet somewhere, but uh, she and the detective and they end up going back to his office and like she's kind of tough with him for a while. But then, you know, she gives in and they kiss and and they're kissing for a while. And I just have in my notes, this is so boring like <laughs> there's so much dialogue i'm like Ugh, like come on i'm Get to the action already mind. Yeah. i felt like the movie felt long it was an hour and a it half it felt long yes but i think it felt long for me just by the sheer amount of stuff that was jam-packed into that hour and a half they're just all over the place and there's so many characters and so many things to have to pay attention to and if you really want to follow the plot and listen in you have to be really tuned in to hearing exactly what they're saying and then remembering the names that are being thrown around and stuff like that. So that made it feel pretty long for me. And then eventually they, they come up to the, the final act where all of this basically gets revealed, right, in the last 10 minutes. So, okay, so the rich guy, David Warner, uh, his character's name is Hackshaw, turns out he was working with the mobster guy all along. And the fact that the book got stolen from the rich guy, that was like their bump in the road. So the rich guy hired the mobster to get the book, but the mobster was always going to give the book back to him. And that's where we end up at this Vista Bonita, uh, where this ceremony is going to go down. Hackshaw is going to become like a god like he's gonna become one of the old ones or something yeah that's the the idea is once they unleashed us on the world then because they're the ones that unleashed them they'll become gods and be given their own planet or something to well yeah filled uh, with fire and brimstone or something yeah (laughs) borden clancy brown is going to get to be the ruler of earth and yeah earth is going to be a terrible hellscape but he'll be the boss so that's great (laughs) so they were all in on it together and all along Hackshaw has intended to sacrifice his own daughter. In fact, that's why he had a daughter and raised her and was so... Kept her pure. Uh Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so she has to be a virgin for this to work. So they... The girl double crosses her lover borden she shoots him and she's like no i want to be the god of earth or whatever then um i don't know the detective takes her out Not, not kills her but like disarms her or something and hackshaw is doing the ceremony and the ground starts to shake and it starts to split and this hellfire light is coming up and eventually this giant butthole comes out of (laughs) the ground and it is like yeah it's a monster like it has a body and a face but like most of its face is its mouth and it's just a big gaping butthole like they're all just kind of standing there looking at it for a second and then it shoots like a tentacle out of its butthole and <laughs> like grabs um the the rich guy hackshaw and like pulls him in and eats him and then it just sinks back down and as it turns out the reason that this whole thing failed is because the virginal 16-year-old daughter the guard (laughs) the police guard that um the detective had sent to protect her protect her which i thought was totally obvious like yeah you knew that was gonna happen you know it's it's like the monster squad when they think that girl's sister's a virgin and you know she's not and of course the whole thing fails so i knew that was gonna happen and like Honestly, it didn't even so much bother me that she hooked up with the guard until Lovecraft 
says something to the guard like, I guess you weren't really thinking about your wife. And the 16-year-old girl is like, you have a wife? And he's like, (laughs) oh, well, yeah, but, like, gross! (laughs) This middle-aged married man boned his 16-year-old charge? Like, that's disgusting! I thought that was hilarious. (laughs) I thought it was gross. Well, of course it's gross. That's what makes it hilarious. Look, I mean, these, these stories, these novels are all about everybody is just bad and despicable people who are into disgusting despicable things and they're all slowly marching to their own destruction and they all do each other in because they're all super selfish you know i mean that's what it's all about and and that's what you get here at the end you know it's just this uh i mean happier ending than than most of these actually so well yeah i mean and that's just it like the case is over like and he goes (laughs) back to his office and he's like things are safe for now because i have the book yeah and that's that's fine Uh, as as much as i say i haven't seen these types of things i feel like if i haven't seen them i've at least seen them portrayed in other things so i know that's kind of how these things work out like in the beginning you've got the detective with the voiceover I should have known she was trouble the minute she walked in my door. And mm-hmm. and then at the end you get, well, that's one more for the good guys, I guess. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> so great. I get it. I love it. I get the formula. I don't know. It was just a little too much for me. I didn't know anything about this, um, and and really, you know, in looking up interesting things to tell our listeners, I really couldn't find all that much about it. No, surprisingly, um, I, I did. Yeah, I did see that there was a follow up. Now, I'm I'm reluctant to call it a sequel, but I, I guess it's a sequel of sorts. But it's not in direct continuity with this movie. There are some recurring characters, but they don't even have the same backstories and stuff and uh in that it's set in the 1950s and they use the red scare and communism and mix all the magic in with it but fred ward doesn't return and instead is replaced by dennis hopper now that would be nuts like, mm, <laughs> anything that dennis, that i know anything that has dennis hopper in it is nuts and uh dennis <laughs> right. hopper said in a, a television interview once that he thought that this was the wildest movie that he'd ever been in dennis hopper what is that (laughs) dude we've gotta see it we have to watch it i'm looking at the cast list now penelope ann miller julian sands (laughs) (laughs) i don't know so it did get a follow-up but um i don't know i don't feel like this movie is very well remembered you know i never hear anybody talking about it no we i except for you you have mentioned it to me more than once and Mm -hmm. uh we did get the request (sighs) and again honestly like I had a good time talking about it. I always say that, and I, I'm, I'm really not being disingenuous. Like, I really do enjoy talking about these things. I have a lot of fun doing this. We wouldn't do it if we weren't having fun. No, of um, not. But I, I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't like the movie, but I do appreciate the request. Yes. I never would have watched this if it weren't for that request. And uh, I, I'm glad to have watched it. It's, it's something that I was... Mm, 99% unaware of, but it's got people in it that I really like, and it was an experience. I Because I didn't enjoy it, I wouldn't watch it again, but there were little things about it that I did enjoy, and uh, I had a good time talking about it with you today. So thanks, Nathan. Yeah, Nathan, I thank you very much for this blast from the past for me. I was delighted to be reminded of this movie and given an excuse to go and, and hunt it down and watch it and be able to talk about it. It's the icing on the cake. I think this movie is ripe for a... I mean, you don't need to remake this movie. You could just make another movie like it, I think. Yeah, yeah. If it had come out today in this particular creative climate, I think it would have gone over way better than... It might have just been a little ahead of its time, which is to its credit. Oh, right. In the era of, like, Harry Potter, like, this type of thing would totally fly today absolutely well we're seeing stuff like this anyway and tv shows and things like that so it, it would and and i i personally enjoyed it i just because i think again i'm familiar with the source material i liked seeing it played out on the screen so faithfully it was a joy to see these characters and these actors that i know very very well 
It was fun to see the inside jokes, even the little magic tricks and things in the background. Yeah, it was a little corny and cheesy at times. I will admit that. But I appreciated the effort, and I, I found some entertainment value in that. I thought of it as just a light, kind of fun little romp. Yeah, it is light. For that, I, I really enjoyed the movie. Would I go back and watch it again? Uh, I'm not sure I would spend another hour and a half doing that, but I might recommend it to a friend. Or if I had a friend who was particularly well-suited to this kind of movie who I felt like had to watch it, I would totally sit down and watch it through with them. Fair enough. Well, thank you so much, Nathan, again for the request. If you have a request, please send it our way. You can just Google Two Guys in a Chainsaw podcast, and you can find our Twitter feed. You'll find our Facebook page. You'll find our YouTube channel, hopefully. Uh, you'll also find our website. Just leave us a message in any one of those places. Also, refer us to friends. Please uh, share the love. We always enjoy getting new listeners. Until next time, I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. With Two Guys in a Chainsaw. Chainsaw.